Dr. Sue, FDA, and Big Pharma accusing they suppressed hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in favor of high-profit vaccines and experimental therapies. And they win, forcing FDA to admit the claims were true. So here's the question. You think Kevin Trudeau is pissed? The truth is, the truth has a way of emerging. And to reveal facts takes real journalism. And for that, you turn to TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of those kind of things, you know, things that our government said, you can't dispute this, it's absolutely fact. There is real climate change. We're destroying Earth. We've got to do this and got to do that. And you can't disagree because it's the science. COVID-19. All the vaccines that were invented around all the world, not one of them, not one, has been fully approved by our own FDA. But you can't talk about the vaccines didn't work. And there are dangers that are held within the vaccines. You can't do that. You can't come out against the government. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I missing something called the First Amendment, our right to speak our minds? You can't even intimate there was a shred of a possibility that there was voter irregulation in the 2020 and the 2022 elections. You can't do it. You're going to be labeled for the rest of your life as one of those election deniers. What do we turn this nation into? It's no longer you and I. Oh, no, no, no. It's a political class. It's a Department of Justice weaponized against the American people's rights to speak their minds. That's what we're living in today. We're struggling to try to keep things running while we try to puzzle out what the heck is going on. Who's involved and why is it happening? And it's almost like we're floundering as we're trying to tread water. We can't even get a Speaker of the House elected. Three weeks now without a House Speaker, which means no legislation. Nothing's been brought into the House. Nothing's been assigned out for committee hearings. No votes on the floor of the House. Well, there's going to be one a little bit later on, late morning, early afternoon, We're going to talk about that, what it's all about. We're also going to wade in on some really scary, stupid stuff. (laughs) There's always stuff going on that you just SMH, shake your head at, shake my head at. And there's a lot of that. And one of our good friends is standing in the house today, and he's asking people for his vote to become the house speaker. We'll get into all of that and a whole lot more. But at least one time a week, every week, we've got to have a good Michael McDonald tune. And so I thought it might be salient to just go way, way, way back to when Michael McDonald joined the Doobie Brothers. And they put out this first song to showcase his great piano keyboard skills 
and that deep, deep, deep voice that everybody recognizes him from, minute by minute. Here's Michael and the Doobie Brothers. I think it was 1979. Kevin McCarthy that was ousted three weeks now, three weeks ago, 
We haven't had a House Speaker in three weeks. Can't get much done, can we? Well, yesterday, during the day, there were several people that had been uh, put on the nominating ballot to become Speaker by secret ballot. And I actually, um, I followed it yesterday during the show and after the show. And um, one of the things that I wanted to follow was how the vote went on those. There were five people when they voted in the House to pick a nominee to go to the full floor for a, a vote of all the Democrats as well as all the Republicans for House Speaker. Those five were Tom Emmer, Mike Johnson, Byron Donnell, Kevin Hearn, Austin Scott, Jack Bergman, and Pete Sessions. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. It was actually seven at the time. After that vote, there was only one left. It was actually two, but one won the vote, and that was Tom Emmer. And in a matter of just a few hours, he got lambasted nationally in the news, did Tom Emmer. He's not a very conservative lawmaker. In fact, he's called rhino all the time. In fact, former President Donald Trump blasted him publicly yesterday. And when that happened, oh my gosh, all hell broke loose. And so he pulled his name from consideration. That left one guy. So the way they did the vote, which I thought was interesting, they had all six of these guys, and in the first round of voting, they agreed before the vote that whoever got the fewest votes on each round would drop out. The first to go was Pete Session. The second round, Jack Bergman, he was dropped. Third round, Austin Scott. Fourth round, Kevin Hearn. Fifth round, Byron Donald, that at the end of that vote, he dropped out, and that left two. Tom Emmer, who I just told you about, and Congressman Mike Johnson. Yeah, the real Mike Johnson, the one that's on this show all the time, lives in Shreveport, Louisiana, represents the Northwest Louisiana 4th Congressional District for the state. He's a good guy, a personal friend, and he's my congressman. And you know him from listening when he comes here on this show. And so when Emmer pulled his name, that left one, Mike Johnson. So last night, behind a closed-door session, the Republicans came up with officially voting for Mike Johnson to be the nominee, to go to the full floor for a vote. Now, what's going to happen there? There's still some territory, some ground to cover because... They only got, he only got 122 votes. It takes 217 to get the nomination and to become speaker. Now, obviously, there's not a single Democrat. They're not going to step over the line. Democrats, I've never seen a political party or an entity in government that is so much in unity when it comes to things like this. Controversial pieces of legislation, appointments, etc., They never break ranks. They're all in the tank. It's like mob rule. This vote, we understand, it's supposed to happen sometime around midday. Right now, just so you remember a few things about Mike Johnson as your lawmakers are going to be voting today, 
He's the vice chair of the Republican conference. He entered the race for the first time on Saturday, and he finished second to Emmer, as I just told you in yesterday's first round of balloting. My theme is simple trust and teamwork. That's what he said yesterday about his pitch to his colleagues. We have to get back on track. That message resonated with the conference as the reliable conservative earned support across the ideological spectrum. Yeah, it's a wide spectrum. You don't have everybody that's just right down the middle in their thinking about all things American politically and governing. And I'm sad to say it, but many people that wear the title of Republican in Congress are not really conservative. Measure their conservatism. They may be more conservative than the guy sitting next to him, but there it's a it's a broad spectrum of conservatism to progressivism, even in the party, which is sad, but that's the way it, it happens. Republicans now got to formulate a plan today to take Johnson's nomination to the floor. This is a big deal, and it's going to be a big day, not just for Mike Johnson not just for Republicans, but for the American people. And as one always can expect, when something comes up like this that's big, media on the left just go absolutely berserk. So just minutes after this happened yesterday, I, as I do very seldom, but when something big like this comes up, I always flip over and start checking out what the left media pundits are saying about these particular things. And so where did I go first? I went to CNN and I was able to stop at CNN. There was the anchor that was on there was just blown away. The CNN uh, GOP, I guess you call them assigned Capitol Hill media person came out from monitoring this meeting and He was aghast. The anchor was aghast. And so they referred to somebody that's really in the know, not even a Republican any longer, not even in Congress anymore. And so I want you to listen to this wisdom that came out of CNN and that special guest. Who is the special guest? Adam Kinziger. Listen to this. And we have some breaking news from Capitol Hill. Republicans have just chosen... Yet another nominee for Speaker of the House after a couple of failed attempts. I want to bring in now Manu Raju Drew over on Capitol Hill. Manu, uh, the fourth time's a charm. What's going on right now on the Hill? Actually, a real warning sign yet again for Republicans as they name their fourth nominee in just three weeks. Mike Johnson was named the nominee. Republican from Louisiana won the majority vote in his conference with 128 votes just moments ago. But there's a real warning for him and concerns about his ability to get the 217 votes he will need to be elected Speaker of the House. That's because there are 44 votes who voted for other candidates. 44 Republicans voted for other candidates. 43 of those voted for former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And that is causing enormous tension in the room next to me. Some members believe that McCarthy is intentionally undercutting Mike Johnson's ascent to the speakership. And others, including Mark Green, who is a candidate in this race, 
once he learned that some of those candidates were voting for Kevin McCarthy, said that people were playing games, and he decided instead to endorse Mike Johnson, all raising more concerns about whether the Republicans, after three weeks of gridlock, of infighting, of, a, of a dealing with a leadership crisis that has left the House completely paralyzed, can actually get out of the crisis that they themselves caused here because of the fact that even though they have another nominee who has a majority of the support within the Republican conference, this person at the moment, Mike Johnson, does not have the 217 votes he needs to be elected speaker, raising even more questions, Abby, about how they will resolve this, who could come next, what the next plan might be if nothing changes in the next 24 hours or so as all these huge issues wait for that for the house to act whether it's dealing with ukraine aid israel aid or taking steps to avoid a government shutdown none of that can happen given this infighting that is happening in the republican party the inability to get behind a candidate in the aftermath of the ouster of the speakership just three weeks ago something that they have yet to resolve as they remain battling behind the scenes about how they should resolve this abby it is really incredible that this is still going on. And as you point out, the chaos isn't over. The, their nominee still doesn't have the votes to become speaker as of right now. Manu, thank you. We're going to stay close uh, as the, this develops tonight. I'm also going to be talking to one of the Republican lawmakers who was just inside of that room voting and deliberating on speaker candidates. He'll be up in just a few minutes. But first, I just want to bring in now CNN senior political commentator Adam Kinzinger. He's a former Republican congressman himself. He was also on the House January 6th committee uh, to react, uh, Adam, to uh, every Everything that you just heard Manu say, they cannot come up with a speaker. And, and I want to just add one more factor in here, too. All of the last few candidates who were just up tonight, uh, they all voted to not so certify the last election. Uh, and uh, this is where things stand right now. What do you make of it all? Well, let me first off say it's a good night to be a former Republican member of Congress because otherwise you're going to be up till 10 o'clock and continuing to battle each other. Here's the thing I think people need to understand. What this division that you're seeing playing out in public actually isn't new. My entire time in Congress, this was a dynamic that existed within the GOP conference. The difference is the – we'll call them the moderates for the sake of argument, the people that are kind of like, you know, let's work together as a team – they're actually standing up and fighting back for the first time ever. If you think back 12 years to anything the Republican majority since 2010 tried to do, there was always a group of people that was you know, taking it down. You look at the Obamacare repeal and replace bill, which I actually think the one we had created was good until the far right came in and said, no, we want to make sure there's no protection for pre-existing conditions. They're always coming in and throwing bombs, and now you're actually seeing the regular folks – actually fighting back against that. And right now, look, Mike Johnson, I mean, I'll tell you, the guy started out fairly normally and then went really deep into Trump when he realized that's what it took to get reelected. Um, so I, he, he may have the same issues Jim Jordan does, as long as the so-called moderates continue to try to fight back. I think we're going to see a point eventually, if I had to predict where this was going to go, it's either going to go into people need to just elect uh, Patrick McHenry, who frankly everybody likes. He's just reluctant to do it. He doesn't want to be speaker. I don't blame him. Or ultimately a deal has got to be cut with the Democrats. Um, but we'll see. I think Mike Johnson will be a good test for everybody to see if kind of a, a 
regular name, not really a controversial name, can win this. And if he can't, then I think they're, we're going to have to start thinking outside the box. Mike Johnson, the GOP conference vice chair, he's also the deputy whip for the Republican conference. As you point out, not really a household name, uh, but also not someone who got more votes than the last person who was the speaker designee. So it's hard for me to see. The math is not mathing on any of this. Um, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, thank you. You bet. So any solutions suggested in that conversation other than Adam Kinzinger is we're going to have to go back to the drawing board as he knows so much about everything. He is the epitome of a turncoat conservative. He was not a good lawmaker. And obviously he knew the die was cast against him. So he did not run for reelection, but CNN's always got a place for somebody that is called a conservative that will come on and diss on the real conservatives in our Congress and in our government. It's all about mob rule. If you don't think like us, we control the White House. We control the U.S. Senate. We've got almost control of the House of Representatives. So think about that. Americans like us better than they do you evil Republicans. And honestly, if you step back from it and look at the whole landscape of this mess, you'll shake your head because in many ways, I don't identify with the Republican Party. And obviously, I in no way identify with anything that comes out of the Democrat Party because it has got a documentary named after what their quest is, And we'll be talking more about that. It comes out this weekend, and it's something I'm going to recommend that you all go see this weekend. I've got the trailer, the movie trailer, and we'll be playing it later in the show. It'll scare you to death. But it talks about the totality of government control over every aspect of our lives. And it's not only talking about it in the documentary. It points to the very obvious and very specific things that have been happening since, oh, I don't know, since Joe Biden took the oath of office and the government decided we're going to put the screech on conservatism and conservatives and we're going to weaponize the Department of Justice, the FBI, the IRS. We've even got people in the IRS that are now carrying loaded guns. (laughs) What does the IRS need guns for? My gosh, I told you there's a bunch of things we're going to get into today. Let me me start with this one. This will blow your mind. Actually, this came out only an hour or two ago. And when I saw the headline, I had to dig in while I was waiting to get the show started. On Friday, this past Friday, the U.S. Treasury Department reported that despite that massively growing economy and that low unemployment that everybody in the Biden administration has been hooting and hollering about, there's something that's amiss. The federal deficit shot up by $320 billion in fiscal year 2023. Now, wait a minute. They told us they got the spending down. They told us money's going up, wages are up, federal tax receipts are up. And we're $320 billion more in the hole. According to the report, 
overall spending actually dropped by 2% compared with 2022 as the COVID-19 spending splurge came to a screeching woe. What drove up the deficit this year was a sudden and completely, completely unexpected 9% drop in tax revenues. Now, wait a minute. That can't be. Not only did revenues come up hundreds of billions lower than last year, but they were well below what everybody expected for them to be this year. At the start of the year, the Treasury Department and the Office of Management and Budget, they projected revenues for fiscal year 2023 at about $4.7 trillion. The CBO, Congressional Budget Office, figured it would be about $4.8 trillion. The actual number, drumroll, only $4.4 trillion. In other words, there's between $300 and $400 billion worth of missing tax revenues. Where could this be amiss? Where could it be? What could cause this? And where is it? Keep in mind, those forecasts assumed that nothing changed in terms of policy over the course of the year, and all were based on economic projections that turned out, if anything, to be pessimistic. Here's an example. The CBO figured the nation's GDP, gross domestic product, would be $26.3 trillion by the middle of this year. The actual number was $27.1 trillion. Now, wait a minute, that's more. It projected an unemployment rate of 4.6%. The actual number, 3.6%. It expected there to be 154 million jobs. There were 155 million jobs. The CBO figured inflation would be running at 4.1%. It was 3.7%. In a normal world, a better-than-expected economy would result in more revenues for the federal government, not less. And something else to keep in mind, that it's exceedingly rare for tax revenues to drop from one year to the next. In fact, it's happened only eight times since 1960, always around an economic downturn. And the average decline was just 4.7%. Even when the COVID lockdowns caused a massive recession, revenues only dipped by 1.2% back in 2020. Revenues plunged nearly 17% during the financial crisis. By the way, it's also worth noting that revenues continued to climb after the Kennedy, Reagan, and Trump pro-growth tax cuts went into effect. So what the heck is going on? Then there's another fact. Joe Biden raised taxes in 2023. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. He raised taxes in the Inflation Reduction Act. Biden signed it in August of 2022, and it included $60 billion in tax hikes during 2023, including a new tax on business income, an enormous increase an IRS funding to increase audits, an excise tax on stock buybacks, more taxes on natural gas, oil and coal, and the phase out of some of those horrible Trump business tax cuts. Uh Uh-huh. 
it's beginning to smell a little bit, isn't it? Yet despite the hike in business taxes, corporate income tax revenue dropped by $5.3 billion in 2023. Individual income taxes plunged by $456 billion. What happened? Where did this $300 billion go to? And why, oh why, isn't this front page news? Now don't get me wrong. I'd like to see the tax burden on Americans sharply decline on a permanent basis, commensurate with a monumental reduction in the size and the scope of our federal government. But that's not what happened this year. The federal government is still tremendously bloated. Spending in 2023 will be 43% higher than it was the year before COVID. That's almost 50%. How the heck can that be justified? How can Americans let that happen? We hear the national debt number all the time. It's now over $33 trillion. Social Security and Medicare are racing toward insolvency. Biden is pushing Congress for another $100 billion to finance the never-ending war in Ukraine and provide some aid to Israel. Did the Biden administration overcount revenues in the past two years? Maybe to paper over the colossal spending increases? Is the White House goosing employment and other economic data today to make the economy look better than it really is? Is Biden's budget team just hopelessly incompetent? (laughs) That's some great questions. Preston Bashers of the Heritage Foundation, he speculates that the shortfall could be the result of a short drop in capital gains tax revenues. How would that happen? Why would that happen? Well, capital gains tax. Listen to the title of the tax. Capital gains not only stopped, they went the other way. What about the explosion in green tax credits and other factors? Somebody in the Biden administration should be made to Explain what happened. And in the meantime, we're now deeper in debt than ever before. And what do I have to say in response to all of that? Way to go, Brandon. Oh, my gosh. It never, ever seems to stop. And we are expected to listen to all of those policy, unbelievably amazing policies with all kinds of benefits for the American people. Our economy is going to grow. He raised taxes. He taxed you more. He taxed big business more. And he was warned. He was warned. Taxes don't bring in more money. Corporations don't pay income taxes. Well, sure they do, Dan. They all have to fill out tax forms and pay their fair share of what they're supposed to pay on their profits. 
the key word in that is profits. Profits. And even if corporations have great profits, they don't send all those profits to the government. What do they do? They expand. Look at what has happened over the last 25 years in our overall economy across the nation. Corporations expand rapidly, grow to unexpected heights. And what does that mean? They expand. They employ more people. They build more locations. And throughout the years, if you look at true capitalism, true capitalism, oh, and let me just reference one thing that I'm not supposed to talk about on the show. Even with COVID-19 and the fact that our economy, our businesses, our corporations, operations across the nation almost dropped 70%. And still in that, the Trump taxes the Democrats decried would destroy our economy, they worked. They worked. Prices stayed down. Inflation stayed down. Yes, there was a dip in revenue at the federal government, but at the end of that time, government revenue zoomed back up until... Joe Biden started working his economic magic on the United States. More taxes, revenue goes down every time. Historically, that's the case because when you raise taxes, it's counter across every economic sector of living in the United States. Every one of them, none is is excused. Every one of them feels that. Oh, there may be from time to time more top-line money, but costs go up, bottom line goes down. Bottom line goes down, taxes aren't the same. And even if the GDP goes up, gross domestic product, that's top-line money. That's not the bottom line. When cost for fuel skyrocket under Joe Biden, when we have to pay more for all of our energy resources because of Joe Biden, we have to go shopping for oil overseas. When Joe Biden was elected, we didn't have to shop. We had it all we need here. And I'll say this again, I paid less than $2 a gallon for gas the day Joe Biden was elected president. And now I'm excited. It's In Shreveport, Louisiana, the cost of gas is down again below $3. But it's still almost twice what it was. Those things factor in. And he's supposed to be an economic genius, and he's got the best financial people on earth. He's got Janet Yellen, Secretary of Treasury. And she told us from the beginning, inflation is a ghost. It's going to be temporary transitory. We're hearing so many lies coming out of this administration. We don't have a clue how to deal with them. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's wrong. And let me say this. When somebody lies to you, anybody, I don't care if it's a politician or your wife or your kid or your boss or someone that's just a friend, if you catch them lying to you more than once, you know what I do? Same thing would happen to me when I was a kid. 
I don't believe anything they say anymore. And the same would be them about me. If I lied a bunch of times, which lie is okay to believe? That's a tough pill to swallow, but that's factual. We, the American people, have been conned by Joe Biden, his stable of hardcore leftist, quote-unquote, economists, and by the way, the Democrat Party and those that represent Democrat voters in the House and the Senate and in the White House. And you and I are going to pay more. Our costs are going to skyrocket from this point forward. As long as this guy or a Democrat replacement would follow him in the White House. And God forbid Democrats regain control of the House. We better stand up and pay attention, all of us. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, wow. <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh, wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like and finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction such a primal feeling Ooh! download raid shadow legends play for free welcome to mcdonald's may i take your order hi can i get a can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Uh, yeah, can uh, I get a... Uh, 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 go, Bubba, go! Uh, uh, pick me! No, pick me! Hey, can I get a... Uh, Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... So the left has the squad. There isn't enough beer to hold to watch what happens next. You are the Army of Truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. I just got another one of these things about economic matters. And this one's spooky too. I haven't even read it through yet. I read the first paragraph, but I want you to hear this. There's something very sinister that is happening in our government, in the Senate. Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois, you know who he is. He has put forward a new bill 
and this new bill is called the Credit Card Competition Act. Now, that sounds like a winner, doesn't it? Going to protect us and get us the best interest rates and stuff like that. But if you read the fine lines, it reveals that this really destroys free market competition in the payment space, credit cards, debit cards. This bill contains new credit card routing mandates. Now, why would our federal government want to get into credit card routing? You know why, so they can monitor my spending, your spending, using credit cards, debit cards. That'll grant the federal government greater control over payments. The bill directs the Federal Reserve to create new routing mandates that will force companies to hand over their technology for free, and that destroys what is currently a fair and free marketplace. That capital, capitalism thing. Not only is this bill anti-competitive, it also is going to put American consumers, you and me, at risk of getting hacked. Think about it. Criminals around the world, they work overtime 24-7 to hack into our private data and our payments information. Every year, consumers spend $9.1 trillion using credit and debit cards. Think about that, $9.1 trillion. Meanwhile, the rate and the cost of criminal activities on the rise. During the past five years, fraud losses have more than doubled in 2022 alone. It was $12 billion lost to fraud just in the United States. So, because of this, a bunch of financial institutions have invested millions of dollars in new state-of-the-art technology. This includes AI software to help predict fraud and new chip technology inside the cards themselves. All of these technological investments obviously take resources to produce, and one of the ways financial institutions support these investments is through interchange fees. Now, you know what that is. They collect those fees whenever you or I uses a credit card at a retailer. It's usually about two percentage points of a purchase. The fees are used for a variety of costs. They help support financial institutions like banks and credit unions. These banks and credit unions use the revenue to help cover fraud loss, invest in new technology, operate their businesses. This new bill that's proposed by Dick Durbin will force these financial institutions to add another payment network to their credit cards. Retailers will then choose to run payments over these cheap and often foreign networks, avoiding having to pay interchange fees. Banks and credit unions help to cover our consumer costs when there's fraud. Any reduction in interchange fees would directly affect bank and credit union investment in fraud management systems and processes that are dedicated to reducing fraud and fraud risk in the system. That would force institutions to do what? Increase costs to cover these necessary expenses. 
Now, why does it surprise any of us? Why does this surprise any of us? It, 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 it really doesn't. We expect our government to consistently never think about or talk about reducing costs for Americans to live in any way. Everything that goes through the House of Representatives and gets up at the Senate and is considered and ever turns into a bill to go to a president's desk, the only way it's ever accepted and signed and put into law is if there's more money that can be split up among a small group of people and entities. And this is not conspiracy. This is factual. Now, is there anything we the people can do about this? Yes. Make a note of it. I'll give you the name of this thing again. It's the Credit Card Competition Act. And I bet you if you reach out today to your member, your Congressional Congress District member, they won't have any clue what the Credit Card Competition Act is. Make sure if they don't know, they look it up and tell them you're dead set against it. If this goes into effect, inflation's just going to keep on rising and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And what the heck are we going to be able to do about it then? Absolutely nothing. I know it's Wednesday. Tuesday's when Steve Baker joins us every day, right? Every week, Tuesday. Well, yesterday we had technical difficulties in the studio and we couldn't get him on the air. We took care of that problem. He just sent me a text just a moment ago and said he's all in. So he'll be with us in about 15 minutes. And so before he comes aboard, I told you, there is a trailer of a new Dinesh D'Souza documentary that's coming out this weekend. You remember the 2000 Mules, that documentary that came in after the 2022 election, 2020 election, when all of the quote-unquote voting irregularity happened? There's purpose in all of it. And if you're wondering why our FBI, our Department of Justice, top to bottom, has not only turned to the weaponization against the American people in a lot of ways, why they have done it. Is there something sinister on the horizon? So the movie's coming out. I'm going to go see it this weekend. I'm excited about it because it reveals a lot of things. But the trailer came out just a little while ago. And, of course, for this show, I can't show you the video, but I'm going to play the audio from it in just a little while. Actually, when we get through with the show today, I'll put the video on its own special page at truthnewsnet.org, and you'll be able to not only go look at it yourself and see the video and listen to it, you can download it and pass it around to people. But just listen closely for about two and a half minutes here and see what is being documented that's going on and why. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. 
Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. I've never seen anything like it. It may be the Russia other people grew up in, but not my America. FBI warrant, come to the door now! There's a heavy banging at my door. Open up! It's 15 marked units on my property. I got SWAT in the back of my house. It took a battering ram to my door. 6 a.m., I hear boom, 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 and hear about six to eight military-style soldiers with the tallest one of them pointing an automatic rifle at my head. FBI, we have an arrest warrant! Shock you out of sleep, drag you out of your house half-clothed, refuse to give you a warrant, ransack your house. Now I'm facing 15 years in federal prison for doing nothing other than exercising my right to free speech. I had no reason to be attacked. I hope that you remember Matt's name and the role you played in killing him. How did we give the state this kind of power? 9-11 changed everything. We're going to expand the bureau from law enforcement to domestic intelligence. Legal shackles are now off. It used to be Islamic terrorism. That threat has kind of dissipated. Our focus is shifting. They're moving to domestic extremists. Really paints anybody who's right of center. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. The demand for domestic terrorism vastly outstrips the supply. When candidate Trump came down the escalators, the government had a meltdown. We are going to drain the swamp. We'll see about that. You take on the intelligence community. They have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. Google literally rewrote their news algorithm based upon what Trump was doing so that they could get this guy. You just take out the word Russiagate and you put in COVID origins. You take out COVID origins and you put in Hunter Biden's laptop. You take that out and you put in January 6th. It's the replicated play from the deep state and their partners in the media. They're not just deplatforming you. They are trying to throw people in prison. If they're coming for me, they're coming for you. Hands on your head! These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech! Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Police State. Exclusively in theaters, October 23rd and 25th. Tickets sold only on policestatefilm.net. So there you go. It's called police state. Why would they call it police state? Well, because they're pretty confident that our police state creation in the United States has already begun. Now think about that for a second. There's no need to get ramped up and scared at this particular time. Fear is the worst enemy of free people. Absolutely. Fear. Now, knowledge is the first step to get away and turn your back against fear, knowledge. I'll never forget 2,000 Mules. That was the documentary that showed all of the voting irregularity that did happen. Forget about what's going on in Georgia right now. There was rampant voting irregularity in Georgia. Now, there's some news that came out overnight about that. 
I don't know if I have time enough to, to get into it. But let me do this. Let me just reach over here and I'll grab an iPad. And I'm going to go pull up a story that came out overnight, something that'll make a lot of people kind of uh, happy about it. Peter Lloyd from out on the West Coast sent this to me. And it's an update. It says in the title, two weeks provided to correct filing. 11th Circuit Emergency Writ accepted to hear case to invalidate fraudulent 2020-2022 elections, Justice Clarence Thomas to rule. Now, what is this? As you probably know, or if you don't, I'll educate you a little bit. Every member of the United States Supreme Court is assigned a particular area of responsibility by states on any case that comes through the lower courts in the federal system that end up being hopefully advanced for the Supreme Court to get involved in them, whoever the justice is that is over that state's cases has the responsibility to review those cases, and there are two choices after the fact. Well, actually, there are three. One is to blow it off and just deny the hearing. The second is for that Supreme Court justice to weigh in and come with an individual finding of whether or not to bring that case up to the full court or not. Or that justice can determine on their selves, on their own recognizance, the case itself. Who happens to be over this at the U.S. Supreme Court? Justice Clarence Thomas. So, it's a writ of mandamus, it's called. That's application. It's something that Justice Thomas can rule on independently to dismiss, or he can forward it to the whole Supreme Court. The applicant in this case is asking that Florida's 2022 general election, with a 2020 option included, be set aside and held anew. There's also room for the 2020 election cycle to be set aside as well, since the evidence shows the same uncertified and uncertifiable equipment was used in both election cycles. Now, if I wasn't Dan Newman, if there hadn't been so much legal liability passed around about election equipment, I might use a voting equipment system company's name here, but I'm not going to. According to the applicant, the same evidence proves that the whole of the elections throughout the country were vulnerable to the same fraud. The question would then be, does this allow Justice Thomas to forward to the whole Supreme Court to set aside the results of the entire country for both 2020 and 22 election cycles? Or could he rule on an injunction pending review of the entire court? By the way, the 11th Circuit also covers Georgia. Wow. So put that in the perspective of what's going on in this police state. That This documentary is coming out in a couple of days. This is turning out to be, and here's what every one of you need to understand between now and next November, 
we're talking about, we're looking at the perfect storm. The perfect storm in U.S. elections. We're going to keep a close watch on this, and as more comes out about that that, uh, mandamus from the 11th Circuit Court, we'll pass along any of the developments there, but this is something every American needs to understand. There is a lot of bad stuff that's bubbling underneath. Did you actually hear that content in police state? Those were not actors. You weren't hearing sounds of actors. These were actually FBI agents and their bosses in the Department of Justice that are saying all those things. A no-knock? That's where they just come to your house before you get up in the morning and break down your door and storm in with no notice. Whatever happened to the innocent until proven guilty thing? In this administration, that's non-existent. Forget about the rule of law. Forget about the U.S. Constitution. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm Joe Biden. Oh, and I'm nothing but a lion lion-faced pony soldier. (laughs) I have never been able to understand that. Well, we've gone through the first hour of the show almost not even talking about Israel, the problem zone over there. And I don't want to forget, those are our friends. Those are our allies. They're the only Jewish state on the globe. And what's happening out there right now, it's not, a war against Israel. It's anti-Semitism. It's despising and wanting to eradicate Judaism itself, the whole Jewish philosophy and all of those in that community to get them out of life. Seriously. AOC, that brain surgeon from New York City that serves in the House of Representatives, she's calling for a ceasefire. Now, she's calling for a ceasefire at the same time she's accusing Israel of war crimes. And she's maintaining that Hamas's horrific attacks do not justify Israel's response. So the New York Democrat socialist claimed she was not defending Hamas while calling on Israel to stop defending itself this past weekend during an interview on NBC's The Mehdi Hassan Show. Mehdi Hassan. Hassan, that would be somebody of uh, uh, the Muslim faith. You know, that religion that is driven by one fundamental principle, convert the infidel or kill the infidel. And by the way, they consider Jews infidels, me and you too, if you're a Christian. AOC was justifying calling for that ceasefire after Hamas terrorists killed over 1,400 Israelis, kidnapped hundreds more, including children, She also didn't address the rapes and the barbaric atrocities that Hamas committed. AOC asserted that Israel's so-called war crimes in reaction to terrorist attacks are not the appropriate response. So, she's a bartender, a farmer bartender. She knows full well anything and everything to do with the law and what war crimes are, right? I think one of the things that's important to recognize about this situation is the asymmetry of what is going on as well as the collective punishment 
of what is happening to the Palestinian people at this moment. Hamas has absolutely engaged in horrific attacks. Every single day there are more details that are released about what occurred October the 7th that shocks the human consciousness and shocks our conscience, our collective conscience. I don't share any conscience with AOC, I promise you. However, we do know as well that war crimes do not constitute and are not an appropriate response for other war crimes, she argued. It is unacceptable to think that 1,700 Palestinian children alone, their deaths will somehow make up or justify the violence of what we saw on October 7th. No, what it's trying to do, ma'am, is they're trying to stop it and keep those idiots from continuing it And if Israel hadn't responded, it would be kind of like Joe Biden, who won't respond to anything that anybody does. Do you know how many attacks have happened on American bases? Do you know? Across the Middle East, almost 100. Our president hadn't done one thing. Thankfully, not a single American has been killed yet. But how much retaliation? for something that we didn't do. How much of that is okay? I don't know. You have to make that decision. And I can tell you for Joe Biden, he makes his decision about it as well. He doesn't give a rip. He hasn't even... Do you remember his boss? You remember when Basra Assad, Basra Assad, leader of Syria, you remember when he was killing, gassing his own people? And it... It really upset Barack Obama. And so he came out and gave a speech and he said, Mr. Assad, if you don't stop gassing your people, it will be a red line for the United States of America. And we will initiate actions to stop you. You remember that? What did Basra Assad do the next day? He gassed his own people again. What did we do as the United States of America? Not a thing. Well, Joe worked for Barack for a long time, didn't he? Mr. Newman. Mr. Baker, are you there? Well, I am. Do we have functional technology today? I'm joking. Everything's fine. We hear you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I take. I am fine. I, I take it you're in the headquarters of the Blaze Network. I, I I am in the mothership, man. Well, we appreciate <laughs> you sharing this time, and let me apologize for the technical difficulty yesterday. I know you never have those kind of issues on your show. Oh, never, never, <laughs> never. <laughs> Well, buddy, we have a, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. We started the show this morning talking about the uh, the House Speaker situation that hopefully will get resolved today. I don't have a lot of faith about it, but I like the fact that one of my good friends and somebody that we hear at least twice a month on this show, Mike Johnson, Fourth Congressional District in Northwest Louisiana, is the guy that the Republicans nominated to represent them in today's full House election, if they end up having it, it'll happen afternoon. Well, I have for you literally breaking news on that. All right. Please give it up. (laughs) Five minutes, five minutes before you called. I got a call 
uh, on background, as they say, from a senior uh, staffer for one of the committees, uh, one of the House committees, and he told me that it looks very solid for uh, Representative Johnson in this coming vote. I'm going to tell you, and he didn't tell me not to share this, but it, it'll tell everybody that's listening. And a lot of people listening are in his district over here. We have, obviously, a good size audience from northwest Louisiana. When this mm-hmm. first happened three weeks ago, uh, offline, we talk several times. We don't just talk when he comes on the show. And uh, we started talking about the circumstances, what's going on. And I asked him, as you would have if you had him on the phone, a good journalist, anyone would have it. I'm not saying I'm a good journalist. I'm saying you are a good journalist. But I asked him, I asked him, would he consider the position? Would he consider putting his name in the hat? He didn't wait or pause an instant. This is what he said. Jim is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Steve Scalise is a good friend of mine, and Steve is a fellow Louisiana representative. They're both in leadership post, and I have high respect for them. I will not put my name in for consideration. So I asked him, well, what happens if those two don't make the trip? Would you consider it? And here's what he said. I'm going to pray about this. I have been, and my thoughts are, if it looked, under the circumstances, if it looked like there was a possibility that I could step in and be a consensus uniter in this whole thing, I have been praying about it, and I think God would be leading me to step up and put my name in the hat. And that's exactly what happened. Hmm. So I don't know anything about the Democrats in leadership. I know who they are. I know what I think they believe and how they roll. I don't know what they would do. But if there's unity to be had in the Republican Party in the House, boy, they need to get it together quickly because we're about, yes, to, we're, we're about to give the House back to Democrats next year if Republicans can't get this stuff taken care of. Well, I will tell you that in this conversation that I had, and it lasted only for about five minutes, and that was about five minutes before uh, you and I got on the horn here together, is this particular, anyway, when I say a senior staffer, I'm talking about senior, and he was whispering wherever he was, and he was expressing to me his frustration at the level of dysfunction that they're having to navigate right now because of this speakership void. Nobody is doing anything. Nobody will approve anything. We can't get approval for our videos on these blockbuster stories that we're rolling out about the, you know, the perjurous Capitol police officers. Uh, we're rolling the stories out regardless because we know eventually those, those permissions are going to come. The security re- reviews that we've agreed to before we release are going to happen. And now, um, uh, for us, it's just exercising patience and not going nuclear because we do have the videos, Dan, we could roll them out (laughs) and there's no league and there's no legal reason why we couldn't because once, once a a congressional committee hands us, whether it's a document or a, uh, 
a video or whatever it is, a, a, a source, uh, it's it's ours. There, there's nothing legal pre- legally preventing us from dropping this video, except obviously we don't want to burn bridges. We don't want to, you know that has in some cases taken years uh, to develop um, uh, uh, inside that crazy building in D.C. But but uh, on the other hand, they are equally frustrated, particularly those who have bosses that are called congressmen. Uh, they're equally frustrated because they can't. They can't get approval for anything. They're, you know, they're running around trying to get things done, trying to answer questions, trying to deal with people like me who has been incredibly frustrated for the last three weeks because when we released our first story in this series was exactly three years ago this morning, and on the in the eleventh hour of its release that night, I got a call from the committee guy saying you can't release the video. I'm like, what? what do you mean? I can't release the video. I have it. He said, you can't. He said, we lost our ability to approve and to get security clearances on all releases. Those have to come directly from the speaker of the house. And now that the speakership has been vacated, we've lost our ability to get that approval. Hey, think about this. Think about this. As tough as it sounds now, and as tough as we've been going through this crap for three weeks, I forget which one it was, but over 100 years ago, they had a House speakership that took 111 votes to finalize. (laughs) (laughs) How how much legislation do you think they got done during that six months or so? 111. (laughs) Let me tell you something, Dan. Gridlock is good, and if it was not for my own personal, (laughs) my own uh, selfish need for congressional action right now on my own stories, I wouldn't care if they were in gridlock for the next five years. I understand. Because one, because one thing is absolutely immutable when you're talking about Congress. When they pass a piece of legislation, one of three things is going to happen. Either my taxes are going to go up, the business I'm operating is going to be more highly regulated, or they're going to take away or some grind down some edge off of another uh, personal liberty that we have. And that's what every piece of legislation does that comes out of that, uh, that town. And, and there are, are there, are there exceptions to the rule? Yeah. We saw Roe v. Wade get overturned, but even half the country think that thinks that that was a loss of their, you know, their special rights uh, to, to, you know, to kill people. And so everybody, everybody has a complaint about what, Congress ultimately does on one side or the other, but from from my perspective, especially my libertarian um, uh, bones tell me that every single time a piece of legislation is passed, I'm harmed by it in some manner. Well, it impacts us all. Nobody lives Mm -hmm. in a vacuum. It is our government, and I don't care what they act like or say, it is our government constitutionally is supposed to be the government of the people, by the people, and for the people, a representative republic. And none of these leaders give a rip about the legality or the illegality of any of the things that are doing. They live, they're a mob. There's no better way to describe it as other than mob rule. Mob rule. Whoever's in power, you can do anything. And forget about that 
legal thing, that constitutional thing. If you want to do it, just go do it. They're operating under that philosophy that I tried to do with my mother when I was growing up. It's always easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. (laughs) You can relate to that, I know. Yeah, sometimes it's easier (laughs) when we're talking about our mothers. Yeah, Yeah, moms have a way of driving home some truths that uh, they do it in a way that we really don't think they would ever do sometimes. My mom, I was scared to death of her. And I watched, I have a, one brother that's four years older than me, and he was quite a bit bigger than me. And I was little, of course, being four years younger. And I watched what happened to him when he crossed her. And mm. I never got in big trouble with her because I was scared to death. <laughs> We're not supposed to be afraid of our mamas. Hey, listen. Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Go ahead. Where, where are we going from here today? I, I want to do a segue. We haven't talked much about the nuts and bolts of this latest insanity that's happening in the Middle East. It is really an important issue. It has far, far-reaching impacts, not just today, but in our future. You being a journalist as you are, and you're detached, you're not, op- even though you're uh, a consultant for the blaze, um, whatever they call you, you're, you're a very independent journalist. And I know you personally, and I know you're a Christian. You grew up in a Christian home, and that's your foundation and basis. Historically, about what's happening in Israel today, what is your feeling about the long-term impact of this and we can only speculate about what's going to happen between and the end of it, now and the end of it, however the end comes out. But what are your thoughts about this and where it looks like it might be going? Actually, one of my kids texted me a couple of days ago and said, or asked me that exact same question, Dad, what's happening? Where is this going? What's going to be the net result of this? And I said, there's only two directions that this goes, one of two. It either results in what has always happened whenever Israel has been attacked in the last 75 years. They will respond, the international community, the United Nations, and all other of the, you know, the powers around the world will put pressure on Israel and tell them to back off. You got your pound of flesh. You retaliated. Now, go make nice and give... Gaza, West Bank, uh, you know, give them some more money, give them some more aid, and nothing will advance, and it'll just recycle. It'll go back into uh, recycle mode, and the militants will rebuild, rearm, put missiles in new places, new hospitals, new schools, and such like that, and then eight years from now, they'll do it again, and and that's, that's the likely scenario, or the other option, Dan, is World War III. I mean, I, I don't know which one is better, <laughs> but but that's that, that's that's what it is. It's it's either it's either you know wash, rinse, and repeat, or do something different. And, and in this case, I don't know. I I don't know whether we're there yet or not. I hope you know. Look, nobody wants World War III. Nobody wants what's going on in Israel right now. But until and. and This this, this is a very frustrating topic for me, Dan, because I've been studying this situation 
my entire life intimately studying this. And this is this is one thing that I know is that there is a level of spiritual darkness when it comes to Israel and the Jew, uh, Jewish religion, the Jewish people that is unexplainable with a rational mind. It's absolutely impossible to explain it, but we see it and we know that it exists. And as I believe it was uh, Netanyahu has said, or maybe he was quoting someone else, we, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if the Palestinians would lay down their arms, there would be peace. But if Israel lays down its arms, they are annihilated and eliminated from this planet. That, that's, that's an immutable truth. We can't get past that. And what, what makes this so frustrating to anybody with common sense and a rational mind is that in the entire history of Israel, Dan, going back 3,000 years, Israel, the Jewish people, have never been an expansionist military state, ever. I mean, once they got their land, once they got the promised land, it was given to them. That was it. That's all they ever did was just want to defend their land. They didn't send out armies like Rome did to conquer the world. That's not who they are. They're not, they're not even a proselytizing religion. Like, you know, Christians are, have the, you know, the, the, the great commandment to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They don't have that. They don't care whether you want to believe what they believe in or not. They just want to be left alone. And when they were granted statehood by the world community 75-ish years ago, they've never been an expansionist state since then. They've been attacked over and over and over again. They've actually yielded and ceded territory and given it up and then pay for it and pay for the occupants who live there. But they don't send out armies into Lebanon, Syria, Egypt to take over their lands. They just defend themselves and they just want to be left alone. I was, that's why this darkness is so hard to rationalize and to understand yeah. when you're talking to people about this. I was there in February. I spent about 10 days, 10 or 11 days, I think. And, you know, growing up in a Christian home, Christianity, Jews aren't Christians. They question Jesus Christ as being the son of God, but still they're very loyal to the law that the law, when you, when, when they use that term, the law, they're talking about mm -hmm. the old Testament, its contents. Mm -hmm. And they believe the principles that are espoused in the 10 commandments. And they expect that from their people. And I learned a lot by talking to a lot of people. I'll never forget standing in uh, the garden of Gethsemane, looking over the valley. And it's not a big valley. I always thought it was, you know, miles and miles and miles. It's in Jerusalem and it's down a little hill across maybe 50, 75, 100 yards. And then right up in that area, a huge wall. And it's the eastern gate of the old temple. And they call it the Temple Mount. Now, if you live in Israel, if you're Jewish, but if you live in Israel... You live in a constant atmosphere 
of explosion at any given moment. Stuff happens all the time. While we were mm-hmm. there, there were some rockets. We, we were down at the Dead Sea at the end of this trip, down in the area of uh, Tel Aviv, kind of middle belt part of Israel, and Lebanon just lobbed a bunch of rockets over, and there were people that were killed, and Israelis that were killed. Mm. And so we, our guide on that trip was a really nice guy, an Israeli native. He is a Christian. He's converted to Christianity, and he's a member of the Israeli military intelligence. And by the way, I reached out to him after this started, and I was concerned about, about him and his family. And it took him three days, but I got a response. And mm. it was a three-word response. His name is Charlie. I thought it was a neat response. All is well. But I asked him, I said, you grow up here. You were born here. You grew up here. And you face this. And your fellow Israeli people, you face this as a possibility every day. How do you reconcile that? How can you not live in a state of fear? And he said, we trust our God. I grew up, while I was growing up, I was taught, God has got us, he's going to take care of us. And we just condition ourselves to not go down that road and live in fear. I thought that was pretty important, but I learned something Mm -hmm. the day that I stood in the Garden of Gethsemane looking across at uh, the Temple Mount. And they've got the mosque, the roof of the Mosque of Omar, uh, which is the uh, Muslim temple there. And I learned something that I did not know. You were talking about the Israelis and how they have treated people through the years. They're not expansionist. They gave up. The Temple Mount used to be theirs, 100% theirs, to try to elicit peace. Listen to what they did. They lopped off, they sectioned the Temple Mount. An equal amount of the Temple Mount is owned by Egypt, Israel, Syria, and Jordan. Four Mm. different countries. And they did it voluntarily. And nobody paid a dime for it. It was supposed to be a show of good faith. Right. I never knew that. Most people don't ever know that. And then we hear of all these atrocities that happened in the aftermath of uh, October 7th. And I, I uh, but right before you came on, I don't know if you were able to listen, and I gave a story about AOC, that historian of all historians, uh, <laughs> probably the best barmaid in <laughs> that part of <laughs> New York City. And she, the best barmaid in congressional history. Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> she's calling for a ceasefire. You gotta, you, you don't, don't retaliate, Israel. And she justified it. Okay. She justified it. Here's what she said. I think one of the things that's important to recognize about this situation is the asymmetry. That's a big word for her. Asymmetry. <laughs> The asymmetry of what is going on, as well as the collective punishment of what is happening to the Palestinian people at this moment. 
Hamas is absolutely engaged in horrific attacks. Every single day, there are more details that are released about what occurred on October 7th that shocks the human consciousness and shocks our conscience, our collective conscience. And I don't know about you, but I don't have any part of my conscience that is collective with AOC. But she no, was. As a matter of fact, I, I, you know what I did? I tweeted out um, about that response yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, uh, what the one thing we can count on from AOC is that every day she's going to learn a new word, and then she's going <laughs> to throw it. She's going to throw it into her nonsense salad maker, and that's what we get. Asymmetry. That was her word for <laughs> yeah. that day. <laughs> that was it. Her word of the day. But listen to how she finished a couple of sentences. However. We do know, she said, as well as that war crimes do not constitute and are not an appropriate response for other war crimes, she argues. (laughs) It is unacceptable to think that 1,700 Palestinian children alone, their deaths will somehow make up or justify the violence of what we saw on October 7th. So, of course, in her wisdom, she determined that any retaliation for 1,200 Jews being slaughtered on October 7th, that any retaliation would be a war crime. There are so many people. This is what spooks me. There are so many people, many of them on college campuses, many of them just people living in parts of the nation where there's a cluster of Islamist or Palestinian supporters. I get that, but there's no education by any of our leaders. Have you heard anybody go into an in-depth conversation from Congress? They've had plenty of time on their hands the last couple of weeks. I mean, I would think they would get out there and just really promote where they are and damn the, the terror and the horrible things that have been perpetrated, but I haven't seen or heard any of that. But she, no. oh, she's a great leader, and she balances well, the, it really the one well. Thing, yeah, the one thing I would love to explain to her is that if you line your children up in front of your army or your militants, and then you position your rockets in the parking lot of a hospital or a school, it is you who are committing the war crime against your own people when that retaliation comes. It's not the other way around. It's not Israel committing the war crime. They've warned. I mean, did, did, did Palestine, did the Palestinians, did, did Hamas give the Israelis 24-hour notice uh, two and a half weeks ago before they invaded? Heck no. No, of course not. But Israel gave them, gave their civilian population notice to get out, get away, seek shelter, seek safety, and what did Hamas do? Block their escape. What we have... Because... Go ahead. Because they want people like AOC, they want the United Nations, they want the outrage, but that's the war crime, Dan. It's not what Israel is doing to protect themselves. And for all of you, and we have a large crowd that's listening in today, for all of you, you need to understand this. This didn't just pop up out of nowhere. This is the product of what has been being taught for two generations now 
to our young people, our kids, and in many cases, our grandkids, have been being taught in public schools across this nation. We have no idea how many Palestinians, I mean actual Palestinians, are embedded across our nation, many of which are in very critical positions in not just our schools, but in our governments. And how else would you be able to give an explanation of why there are so many nasty demonstrations going on? I heard a poll yesterday. If you are on the show yesterday, you heard that uh, interview between Tucker Carlson and uh, General Douglas McGregor in which McGregor actually used the A-word, Armageddon, when Tucker asked him, "What's what are the possible outcomes? That's why I ask you what mm-hmm. your thoughts were. Yours are the same <laughs> as the general. You just didn't call it Armageddon. Right. But they're teaching the extermination of the Jews. It's not Israel. It's anti-Semitism that teaches any Jew is not worthy to breathe. And they are in the Islam religion, they're instructed to either convert the infidel, and Steve, that's you, and it's me, and anybody that's not Muslim, convert us or kill us. That's not me. That's not some politician saying that. So why would we be shocked when they're just being who they've been taught since birth to be? I heard really frightening statistics this morning and I forget which polling agency it was as I was getting ready this morning and uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm living in a hotel for the last several weeks and so I I don't exactly remember what the the source material was but something on the order of 14 percent of Americans polled right now are actually in favor not not support they are in favor of of Hamas's actions against Israel. Now, that is frightening to think that 14% of our neighbors believe in and support the slaughter of any one group of people, much less the manner in which they did so, you know, and that's that's the part that makes it so so incomprehensible is when we think about the level of potential danger that we're living under here right now and and of course those numbers um, exponentially increase when you start looking at worldwide polls and you start looking beyond our own borders because you whether you're looking at UN statistics or you're looking at uh, World Health Organization statistics, even CIA statistics, they all say that somewhere between 10, 15 to as many as 25% of the Muslim world are what they call radi- radicalized. And, and, and Dan... When you have 1.8 billion Muslims on this planet and you start plugging in those values, 10%, 15%, 25%, that's far larger than all the combined armies on this planet. Do you have any sense whatsoever that our wide open southern border was purposely made to be open and stay open in perpetuity, it looks like, 
for any kind of purpose to deal with stuff like this? Or do you think there's money involved in it to encourage it to happen? Where does that fit into this picture? Let's, let's get beyond, you know, one of the things that I always say when I'm on your show is the first thing you have to look at when you look at government is you have to look at incompetence and then you go beyond incompetence. Then you start looking for malevolence or some sort of, you know, uh, 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 evil, you know, evil plan, master plan. And, and when we're talking about the border for the number of years that this has been in crisis, we are far, 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 far beyond attributing this to government incompetence. And then when we see the purposeful escalation and the basically the doors thrown open uh, at our southern border uh, during the Biden administration and the, the, the just the, the raw numbers of millions crossing per year now across that border, this is beyond incompetence. Now, I have to ask the reason, what is, what is the, are they deliberately setting up an invasion? Are they deliberately allowing these, uh, quote unquote, I don't, I don't even know if you can call them sleeper cells anymore, Dan, as many people are coming in. It feels like an, uh, an armed invasion. They know they can get weapons. They don't need to carry them across the border. Once they get in the United States, they're, they're readily available. Uh, but what are we looking at? My, my first instinct is, of course, is that the Democrats themselves are just allowing in armies of voters to uh, secure their power uh, for all time and, tra- and fundamentally transform America, as Obama talked about. I think that that's, the, I think that that's their instinctual effort that's taking place right here is to throw the bo- throw the borders open give all these people driver's license and IDs get them to the polls give them $2200 a month a piece let them these are these are uh, those that's it's just a gigantic vote buying scheme but in if that is is as if that is as an inane as their motives are what is actually happening is we're seeing millions of military age, young men, unaccompanied by women and children crossing that border from every nation on this planet that dislikes and hates democracy, hates our republic, hates our constitution, hates our way of life. The kind of person that I am, I'm a, my mother used to call me a plotter. When I think about something, and it seems like it's substantive, I'll stop right there and I'll start analyzing what if, what about this? What do you think about this? And so when all of this stuff started happening and it was brought to our attention pretty much the first time on a major level was when Donald Trump was campaigning for the presidency back in 2016. And we realized, man, I mean, these people are coming in. We have no idea who's coming in. So think about it. If you're an evil group of people, criminality, you want to take advantage of an opportunity, as they call it, you're going to find a way to get your head up and be in charge of doing something that is not good but will benefit you at the end of this, and you want to go find the way and the people to help you put that in place and get it done. And so Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Somebody makes a phone call uh, from one of the drug cartels and says, hey, look, if you'll help us, we'll help you. 
And so they start throwing around dollars and cents and uh, the old ding, ding, ding begins to happen and lawmakers over here or people in the bureaucrats in our government and all of a sudden they're coming across, they're facilitating child sex trafficking, drug trafficking, and there are dollars and cents that obviously, I promise you, you know this better than me, they're floating around and the love of money, as somebody once said long ago, much smarter than you or me, the love of <laughs> money is the root of all evil. Back in the late 90s, in politics, the big thing, the big draw was always dollars and cents. But along that time, somebody in government realized, you know what? Money's great. But if we had more power, we could power. have all the money. And we could control Power. everything else. That's and right. so that puts in perspective, and, and I don't know if you heard this, I, I played the trailer on Police State. Um, that's the Dinesh D'Souza mm-hmm. documentary that's coming out this weekend. And when you put all of that together and you realize that is just one additional step in the process of taking all control away from the American people and putting it solely in the hands of big government, a police state. It all makes sense. And maybe not all of that is true, but I promise you a big enough piece of it is true that if we, the people don't step up and do something about it, it doesn't matter how many privately owned weapons there are across the United States. If they get all the power, they won't give a rip about you or I. They'll take us out. They don't care. No, and they don't. And, and I think we were beginning to talk about this just yesterday when before we had our technical issues. Um, you had mentioned this new information about militant organizations, particularly Hamas, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, um, Hezbollah, coming across our southern border. And I was saying to you that ten, if we go back 10 years ago, I was being fed from a very – inside source in the intelligence community, not not classified information, but open source information about the tracking of those training camps from those various Islamist terrorist organizations in Central and South America. And I wrote a story about it some 10 years ago, and I had people jump on me and tell me how full of you know what I was, that that was absolutely absurd, that this was not happening, and these people were not coming across our border. And now we see them piling onto trains full of, in, in massive, massive caravans of young military-age men coming from all of these nations that hate us, as I said earlier. And this was all happening 10 years ago. They're, they're, they didn't just show up, Dan, in the last year. They didn't just show up during the Biden administration. They have been here. They have been in the Western Hemisphere for years. And this is what we're looking at at our southern border right now. Absolutely. Final word. I want to say this, and I want you to give the you get the last word today. But mm. why, why do you think... The president of Egypt and the president or the king of Jordan, when this October 7th thing began to happen, 
they both jumped up on international television and said, absolutely, not a single Palestinian refugee is coming into our country. <laughs> Why do you think they said that? Final word. Well, they don't, they don't get to be the king or the president of a oil empire by not being smart people. And they're smart enough to recognize that every single time any of them have ever opened up their borders or their territories to the Palestinian people, it has created civil war. The problem is not Israel. The problem is there's a spirit. You and I know what that spirit is over the Palestinians and those who control them and those they vote for, that they don't get along with anybody. And that's why the other Arab nations, even though they share similar religion, they don't want them. Nobody wants them. God wants them. He wants them yeah. so he can individual. straighten it up. Yeah. Yeah. He wants he wants their individual yeah. person. Wow. Heavy stuff today, my friend, and we have a big audience that's listening in. Keep that in mind, and we want to make sure you know Steve has a green light. Anytime he has something big and he shares it with his audience, and we're part of his audience, but also he respects you and all of you, he will come here and make sure we have the same information because we're in the, we're in the process now, folks. We're going to have to make some decisions about our lives. And it's a scary thing when you have to make a choice and you don't have all the facts. That's what we're here for, both of us. Steve-O, you're my yes, buddy. Sir. You're my buddy. I want to thank you, you too, for man. I want to thank you for everything you do. Keep it up. And anytime we can help, you got the number. You got it, man. Thank you so much. Talk soon. All right, we will. Bye-bye. Mr. Rippenmoff. Yes, Dorothy. Donald Trump, Trump and the MAGA Republicans. Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. Representative extremism. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers. That threatens the very foundation. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For a thousand dollars. Well, the team of Rippenmoff. The Division Council DOJ approved a no-not breach. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red we ones, blue ones. We want the subject to be on display. Do they have lights and cameras? Doing the walk of shame. Tell them I went out my window down the fire escape and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Rippenmoff? Watch News Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Wastebusters in action. You can't escape them, sir. They're the Wastebusters. News Center 7 Wastebusters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. So... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. 
When two guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. We're always thankful for Steve when he comes on, the information that he brings to us. And he's very plugged in in a lot of ways that very few people can even think about. And so he's the friend of this show. He's a good personal friend. And we're always thankful when he joins us. Some things have been slipping out while we've been talking here today. Um, and I wanted to bring a few of these to you because they are they are important. New information out about our president's likability, favorability among Americans. Right now today, it sits at a four-year low. Only 37% of Americans hold the favorable view of Joe Biden, while 60% have an unfavorable view marking his worst unfavorable rating dating back to 2019. During the 2020 election cycle, the pollsters found Biden's favorability rating slightly fell from 42% in 2019. His highest favorability rating was 55% right after he became president. His favorability among Democrats is 80%, which blows my mind. How could any American, any American, looking at the circumstances of their lives right now. Forget about the world mess. We're on the brink of World War III. And if you want to call it Armageddon, the biblical term, go ahead and call it that. But we're on the brink of it. We're under attack from all sides. We, the people, they're not lobbying uh, missiles into the continental United States, but they're firing on our military bases and our installations in foreign countries, and they've been doing it since this began on October 7th. We just now, the last couple of days, are hearing about it, and we're certainly hearing nothing about our leader even telling who is firing those rockets into our military folks, even telling them to stop. 80%, I can't believe that number. Among those in that 80%, only 32% view Joe Biden very favorably, just three in 10 independents. That's where I sit. I'm not one of the 30% in the independents that think Joe's doing a good job. 6% of Republicans view Joe Biden favorably. Those are the latest And honestly, I don't think they're going to go up. I think they're going to go down. And as this thing begins to develop, unless this administration, led by whoever's calling the shots, and I think you and I both agree that it's probably not Joe Biden. A lot of people think it's Barack Obama. I'm not one who feels that way. I think Barack Obama doesn't have enough depth Look at when he was president. He had a flow of Democrats that were listening to him. Anything and everything he said, they foamed at the mouth. He was their savior. 
he never made any really controversial decisions about anything other than that red line about Syria when Bashar Assad was gassing and murdering his own people. Barack Obama got up on national television and said, if you do that one more time, you're crossing a United States red line. Bashar Assad did it again. Barack did nothing. Whoever it is that's calling the shots out there, nobody knows. I'm sure there are some people that know. But there's no justification in any of our history as a nation that makes it okay to just benignly sit back and allow this stuff to happen. Every day, somebody in the Biden administration says, we know that by proxy, Iran is the one that's funding all of these rockets and missiles that are being slung toward everybody that's not Muslim in the Middle East. They say that, but yet they don't do anything about it. I'll go back to Donald Trump again. Remember when Iran was flexing their muscles just like they are today and they killed an American journalist. Donald Trump didn't get up on television and blast them. He was ready for it. Soleimani, the number one military leader in Iran history, he was preparing, putting together plans to kill more Americans. Donald Trump and his military leaders found out where he was, and they killed him. Now, if you were Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you would say that's a war crime. The United States didn't have justification to kill one of their military leaders. After all, they just killed a lowly journalist, American. That's not the mind of those people. Remember, they're the ones that call us the great Satan, Iranians. They have for years marched in the streets carrying, burning our flags, but carrying their own that say, death to Americans. They call us their great Satan. You know who the little Satan is? It's Israel. And they feel the same way about Jews as they feel about us. Donald Trump told Iran after they sent a, a missile that got Soleimani, Donald Trump told them on international television, if you uh, retaliate, if you do anything again like that, we're coming after you again. They never did another one of those things. They, being our government, they don't have a clue how to stop it. And the only way they know to stop it, they won't talk about it, but it's quit. It's let the bully do what the bully's going to do and just try to hope and believe that they're going to have a turnaround. And, of course, that's never going to happen. You know what's going on right now today? This one, it, it just nauseates me. It's in the United States of America. Students at Georgetown, a George Washington University, projected pro-terror, anti-Israel messages on the side of a school library in the wake of this terror group, Hamas, murdering more than 1,300 Jews. The messages show 
on the campus building glory to our martyrs, divestment from Zionist genocide now, and free Palestine from the river to the sea. The river to the sea, the West Bank to the sea. The stop anti-Semitism account is now calling on George Washington University President Ellen Granberg to immediately expel those who are involved in putting those messages up on the side of that building. It's up like four stories tall, the message, electronically. The students' pro-terror messaging, it comes after the mass murder of Jews in Israel by Hamas, rape, beheadings, bodies being set on fire, kidnapping of Israelis. A second post shows four people allegedly responsible for the projection arguing with cops. The four students responsible for the pro-terrorist light are now being confronted by police. They refuse to move and continue to argue with police. And so what is Joe Biden doing? Well, he's drawn a red line. They crossed the red line. He drew another one. They crossed that one, and now he gave up on writing red lines. He's given up. He's all in. Can you imagine what can possibly happen between now and the election next November? We're talking about a full year, actually more like a year and three months because a new president doesn't take office until January of 2025. So Joe Biden is going to be in the power until that day. His stuff that he does or doesn't want to do, that's what's going to happen. Congress, they don't give a rip, or if they give if they give a rip, they're not doing anything about it, stopping the things that he's been doing. I just don't understand. I don't understand at all. This will give you an example. Sean Duffy used to be a member of Congress. He, uh, he came on a show yesterday, and he talked about Joe Biden's nominee to become the Israeli ambassador. Jack Lew is his name. You remember him from the Obama administration? He's the one that put the deal together that gave $216 million in cash to Iran without going through Congress. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, they just waved their arms at Iran and its leaders, and they flew that money over in the dark of night, and it was all cash. Can't make this stuff up. He wants us all to believe he's the best friend of Israel, but he is actually the best friend of Iran. And just to review, we've talked about it uh, in the last 10 minutes, but the Iran nuclear deal that he reinstituted when Donald Trump took it out, he unfroze six billion dollars of, of of cash to Iran. He allowed oil sales that have brought in, to your point, billions of dollars more cash into Iran. But you go back to when Joe Biden was the vice president, and he and Barack Obama allowed a payment of 1.7 billion dollars to Iran, and they actually paid it in pallets of cash. I was on the Financial Services Committee at that time, and we were outraged by it. Tried to get information from Jack Lew himself, the nominee to be the ambassador to Israel stonewalled us, lied to us, dishonest. There's no way that man should be the ambassador to Israel. Joe Biden should nominate somebody else. Joe Biden should nominate somebody else. That's what we're dealing with, folks. Feckless, 
leadership, our president is not all there. I am not denigrating him in any way. I think it's very obvious to all of us what's going on. He has cognitive disability, and it's getting worse every day. And it's up to our representatives in Washington, D.C. to objectively figure out, get together, what can be done. Ask him to leave office. Now, who do you get otherwise if he's gone? Kamala Harris. Could it be worse than Joe Biden? I don't know. But if we don't do anything, the same stuff is going to keep happening. Our thanks to Steve Baker and our thanks to you. Thanks for joining us every day. You have a great day. We'll meet again tomorrow morning and we'll be on the other side of this House Speaker vote that's coming up. We'll see you at 9 a.m. tomorrow at TNN Live.